Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. You daily dive into the news. We got a lot to talk about today. We're talking about the pastor whose legal defense is God told me to scam my followers. Oh, a woman stabbed her boyfriend 108 times, killing him, and somehow got 100 hours of community service. We've got make or break chaos in Argentina. What New Hampshire really exposed about Donald Trump and the 2024 election. And the king has returned. And then there's even more. So buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Starting with, I'm so interested to know what you think about this situation. Because at the core of this story, it's the question of, should you be held responsible if you're in an altered state? And at the center of this story, you have 33-year-old Bryn Speecher, which is a woman living in California, and her life took a very strange turn back in 2018. She'd been dating a guy by the name of Chad O'Melia for a few weeks, and one night she's hanging with him at his apartment in Thousand Oaks. And while there, they both take hits from a bong loaded with marijuana. And while Chad just kind of got regular high, Bryn reportedly blasted off into what experts call cannabis-induced psychosis. Or in other words, like she became delusional, fearing that she was dead, hearing voices that told her that she needed to kill Chad to survive. And so she grabbed multiple knives and she stabbed him. Not once, not three times, 108 times. But they're also then going on to stab her own dog. And when cops arrived at the apartment, they found Chad dead, Bryn screaming hysterically, and then she turned the weapon on herself. The officers then rushing to stop her. They used batons and a taser. Well, initially, prosecutors had charged her with murder. A few days before the trial last fall, they downgraded that to involuntary manslaughter. Right, And that decision drew massive backlash from Chad's family and their supporters, with them even protesting outside the courthouse. And Chad's father telling News Nation during the trial. In her testimony that everything was about her, me, me, me. I can't count how many times I heard her say me. Now, I realize this is not good for her or her family either. But there is a victim here, and she is not the victim. The reportedly, Bryn did actually apologize to him in the courtroom while sobbing. But then all of that, late last month, led to a jury finding her guilty of the involuntary manslaughter charge. And while that meant she faced up to four years in prison, the judge handed down a sentence yesterday that elicited an audible shock from the courtroom. Bryn got zero prison time, instead getting just two years on probation and 100 hours of community service. With the judge then going on to explain their decision, saying because she was having a psychotic break when she killed Chad, she was not actually in control of her actions. And although Cal California law deems people responsible for their actions, even while impaired by alcohol or drugs. That doesn't apply if their intoxication was involuntary. And what Bren's lawyers were able to successfully argue is that Chad had pressured and intimidated her into taking the last bong hit. So it was seen, at least by this judge, as involuntary. And so as Bren walks out essentially free, I gotta pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? Do you agree with the reasoning of the judge, or do you agree with the, the family and those outraged? And then, I have a confession I need to make. God, the one, he told me to scam you out of millions of dollars. And the Lord, he told told me, spend that money on yourself. That absolutely insane word vomit I just made is the actual excuse being given by this pastor right now. Though he was not alone on this righteous journey. Right, because both Eli Regalado and his wife, Caitlin, lead the Victorious Grace Church in Colorado. Though notably, it has no physical location, it's just online. And in the fall of 2022, according to court documents obtained by Insider, he made a very exciting announcement to his congregation, saying the Lord had instructed him to get into crypto. So he and his wife, who were they to say no? They founded Index Coin and the Kingdom Wealth Exchange, which was a platform where their followers could buy and sell the coin. With Eli then reportedly explaining, it was last October 21 that the Lord brought this cryptocurrency to me. He said, take this to my people for a wealth transfer. And thanks to the guiding grace of God's hand, it was a wild success. With more than 300 very smart, very trusting, very devout 
people forking over nearly $3.2 million for what they believed was gonna be a highly valuable cryptocurrency. Not only because it was divinely sanctioned, but also because Eli sold the coins for a buck 50 each with the promise that they were actually worth $10. Meanwhile, actually behind the scenes, the Regalados had at most $30,000 backing the coins, which according to the court filings is $300 million less than they should have had. Or to put it in other words, they had almost no liquidity with Eli later explaining. And I'm like, well, where's this liquidity gonna come from? And the Lord says, trust me. Awesome. It's in the Lord's hands. It's gonna be fine. So Eli and Caitlin, they just got to work on the important stuff. Spending their followers sweet, sweet cash. With prosecutors alleging that they pocketed about $1.4 million for themselves. Spending it on things like cosmetic dentistry, boat and snowmobile rentals, a Range Rover, a loan on a Ford F-150. And Eli admitting to all this. The charges are that Caitlin and I pocketed $1.3 million. And I just want to come out and say that those uh, charges are true. But out of that $1.3, half a million dollars went to the IRS and a few hundred thousand dollars went to a home remodel that the Lord told us to do. Which a lot of people don't realize, the, the Lord very much cares about home decor. Huge fan of Architectural Digest. But easily my favorite thing from this video is he, he, he throws God under the bus. We sold a cryptocurrency with no clear exit. We did. We took God at his word and sold a cryptocurrency with no clear exit. And so to no one's surprise except these suckers who bought into this, Index Coin and Kingdom Wealth Exchange both shut down back in November. It left investors stranded. And so now the state attorney general's office has filed civil fraud charges against this couple. And currently, their defense is uh, blame God, not me. Which, hey, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't know if that is an actual legal defense. But that said, I hope they stick with it because I, I would love for these two to be held accountable. But I guess technically, to be fair, there are three ways this could have gone down. One, they're scamming snakes. Two, they're delusional people who just hear voices and made other people their victims because of it. Or three, uh, God does exist and he decided to fuck with them. But hey, uh, you be the judge. And then another day, another bad story or three about Boeing. Like they've been in hot water, but it's like starting to boil now. Right? I mean, a couple of days ago, we talked about the Alaska Airlines door plug incident and how the FAA was recommending airlines check a different Boeing model with the same door plug design. And now we've learned that the agency is investigating a different parts failure incident on another Boeing plane. The FAA now announcing their investigation into an incident at Atlanta airport on Saturday, where as a Delta 757 was preparing for takeoff, a tire from their landing gear under the nose of the plane just fell off. Delta 982, this is the aircraft looking at you. you one of your nose tires just came off. It just rolled off the runway uh, behind you. Delta 982, uh, tower sounds like we've got a problem. And this is we're seeing the CEOs of airlines having some strong words regarding the issues with Boeing plane. Right in United's case, they've already said that the grounding of their 79 MAX 9s, that's going to cause them to lose money in the first quarter of the year. With Scott Kirby saying in an interview yesterday. But I'm disappointed that the manufacturing challenges do keep happening at Boeing. This isn't new. I'm disappointed in, in, in that. And this is Boeing's new larger model, the MAX 10, which United has a standing order for. It's years behind schedule for certification by the FAA. And so there might be a serious shakeup in United's future fleet with Kirby saying. I think this is the straw, the MAX 9 grounding is probably the straw that broke the camel's back for us. Uh, we're gonna at least build a plan that doesn't have the MAX 10 in it. Now, we'll hope that Boeing gets it certified at some point, but we're gonna build an alternative plan that just doesn't have the MAX 10. And in a call with investors, Kirby confirmed that while United has not canceled their order for the MAX 10s yet, that it probably won't be receiving the plane, saying, we are taking it out of our internal plans. And we'll be working on what that means exactly with Boeing. But Boeing is not gonna be able to meet their contractual deliveries on at least many of those airplanes. And let's leave it at that. And this is Alaska Airlines CEO, Ben Minicucci, has expressed similar frustrations about Boeing's quality. Pointing out that the plane that lost a door plug earlier this month, it was brand new. And the airline has since found many loose bolts on other MAX 9s in their fleet. And in an interview yesterday saying, I'm 
angry. I'm more than frustrated and disappointed. And adding, I think this is the issue that's at question right here. What is Boeing going to do differently on their quality program to make sure that when we get an airplane, it's at the highest degree of excellence? And that's what's got to be different going forward. And also saying the airline is evaluating their future with Boeing. Now, Boeing, for their part, they put out a statement apologizing to the airline, saying they're working on a comprehensive plan to bring these airplanes safely back to service, which I imagine could start with uh, making sure all the bolts are in place. Boeing also announcing a quality stand down in their factories beginning tomorrow as part of their plan to solve these problems, with staff reportedly taking lessons on improving quality control, which again, I'm just so fascinated like what that looks like. Though there you had Stan Deal, CEO of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, saying teammates will participate in hands-on learning, reflection, and collaboration to identify where quality and compliance can be improved and create actionable plans that will be tracked to closure. What a fun and tasty word salad you had there, Stan, but it goes great with like a nice balsamic dressing. Fuck, yeah, I don't know, man. Hopefully changes are made so that people can feel confident about the airplane that they're getting on. It's not the same build quality of like some toy I forgot I had to put together the night before Christmas. And then we've got more news we gotta talk about, but I gotta take a quick second to pay some bills. Especially because, yo, we've got football, basketball, hockey, concerts, the theater, and even more going on right now. An event for like every mood and taste. And to kick this year off right, SeatGeek and I are sending several of you and loved ones to your favorite live events. So listen up. With over 70,000 events and 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. And I told them I want to do something special for you beautiful bastards. And they really came through because for the next three months, we'll be giving away $500 in SeatGeek credit weekly. You're hearing right. Every week, someone from this audience will win $500 towards any of SeatGeek's 70,000 events. Right, you've got basketball in full swing. I just watched D'Lo and the Lakers go off on the Trailblazers this weekend. You've also got artists like Drake, Hozier, Travis Scott, and Bad Bunny on tour. You know, what better time than the present? So if you're new to SeatGeek, you can use code Phil for $20 off your first purchase. And for you SeatGeek vets, you're also covered. Just use code PDS and it gets you not only $10 off any purchase, but you'll be entered for your chance at a $500 SeatGeek credit. No purchase necessary. Again, just simply add code PDS to your SeatGeek account, get $10 off any purchase, and you could be one of our weekly winners. Also, fantastically, Daily Dip newsletter subscribers, you get double entry and double the winnings, $1,000 in SeatGeek credit. So just make sure you're subscribed today. I got links for you in the description. And then, I did not expect Netflix to prove me right so fast. Because yesterday when we talked about the big WWE Netflix news, I said this feels very much geared towards them trying to build out their ad tier subscription. Live TV opens up a lot of natural inventory for ads. And then literally just hours after that show, Netflix made some big announcements. First, revealing that they added 13 million subscribers last quarter, which is their second strongest ever, only behind the first quarter of 2020, which was when you had the pandemic streaming boom. And when you know it, the ad-supported tier did the heavy lifting. With Netflix saying that ad membership increased nearly 70% quarter over quarter, and saying now the ad tier plan accounts for 40% of all Netflix signups. And in fact, they're so invested in this model, they're now killing off the basic plan, because they've been phasing out the $12 basic plan for new members, but now they're planning to fully retire it, starting with Canada and the UK. And this after Netflix already stopped offering it to people signing up for new accounts here in the States. So if you're signing up, you got three options now. You can pay $23 a month for a premium plan, the standard plan for $15.49, or you can get the ads plan for just $6.99 a month. When you see the price differences, you really see they are pushing people towards that ad plan. And the thing is, they're not alone. By the end of the month, Amazon's making ads the default for Prime Video, with users then having to opt to pay more to get around that. And according to the data that's out there, not a ton of people want to shell out that extra cash. With a survey from Civic Science and Variety finding that less than 10% of respondents said they would spend another $3 to not have ads on Prime. And that, compared to 15% who said they would cancel, 32% who said they would use it either somewhat or much less, and 31% who said they would use it the same amount. So what we've kind of seen is that streaming is has recreated cable television. And then, you know, after last night, we've got to talk about Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Joe Biden, and New Hampshire. Because while we largely saw what we expected to see, there was a lot to learn from it when you go into the specifics. Because Donald Trump beat out Nikki Haley, as expected. But going into it, he had been polling as a 17-point favorite, only won by 11 points, which is a big win, but there's also the question of like, well, why was it even remotely competitive? Because when you look at who voted for Haley, you realize Donald Trump may have a problem with independent 
voters. Because early exit polls actually showed that seven out of every 10 Haley voters weren't even registered Republicans, which is a group that made up almost half of all voters in the GOP primary. Though among registered Republicans, she picked up about a quarter of the vote. But this also, thanks to several TV interviews, getting some insight into the minds of some former Trump voters who voted for Haley last night. Well, I voted for Nikki Haley because I was voting against Donald Trump. And what, what propelled you to get to this point? I want to, I'm 74 years old. I've lived in a constitutional democracy all my life. I want to remain that way, and I want my grandchildren to grow up in one. Who'd you vote for tonight? Nikki Haley. Tell me why. Why? Mm -hmm. I could not vote for Trump. Process of elimination. I voted for him uh, twice. Uh, but after all the stuff that's going on, and I just could not vote for him again. Right, so we're talking about and looking at potential difference makers in the general election, even if, you know, Nikki Haley had no shot to win New Hampshire. Well, you've had experts saying, you know, this pretty much is the nail in the coffin for Haley. She, for her part, has remained defiant, vowing in her speech last night to stay in this race, arguing that it's still early, that there are many more primaries. Though again, it is widely expected that she is going to perform worse and worse as they go to different states. Right, New Hampshire's demographic of voters is where she was expected to perform best, with her next competitive race being her home state of South Carolina in a month. The current polling says that she'll get absolutely smacked upside the head. And as far as Trump's reaction yesterday, uh, it went kind of as expected. He absolutely unloaded on Haley in an insanely angry speech, one where he demanded that she drop out, accusing her of hurting the party by staying in the race. And he definitely wasn't alone there. We saw many top Republicans in the House and Senate calling to end the primaries and for the party to unite around Trump. He also, last night, went on one of his toilet tweet barrages against Kayleigh McEnany, because she had the audacity to point out the things that we pointed out here today, that he might have an independent voter, more moderate Republican voter problem. When you look at our voter analysis, only 10% said I would not vote for Joe Biden if he's the nominee. He won a plurality of voters who said he was too old. He won a majority of voters who are upset about the Gaza war. So the divides in the Democrat Party, and this is a small sample size, but perhaps aren't as stark as one would think. But when you look at the Republican Party, seven in 10 Nikki Haley voters said, I would not vote for Trump. There was a Des Moines Register poll, 43% said, no, I wouldn't vote for Trump. If I'm Trump, I sit back and I exclusively focus on the general election. I take the posture of a presumptive nominee. I focus on number one, uniting the party, and number two, winning the independence. With Trump responding to that and saying to his former press secretary, I don't need any advice from Rhino Kaylee McEnany on Fox. Just had a giant victory over a badly failing candidate bird brain, and she's telling me what I can do better. Save your advice for Nikki. But with all that said, while we're still a ways away from this general election, It'll be very interesting to see if these little things that we're seeing, do they grow or do they go away? Because again, like we've talked about in the past, based off of current polling, if it is Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, with where the swing states are right now, Donald Trump wins. So as we get closer and this becomes more real for all the voters, it'll be interesting to see if and how things change. But with all that said, I think the most exciting election news that we actually got today, Jon Stewart is returning to The Daily Show. He's joining as its executive producer. He's also gonna be hosting Monday nights. He'll be starting February 12th. That'll play out through the election cycle. And personally, I'm so damn excited. Because while he had that other show with Apple TV+, it was just different than the, the flow and structure that suited him so well. And I mean, that whole show and deal that ended last year over creative differences. The main thing, welcome, welcome news. And then, the extreme libertarian economic experiment over in Argentina is getting its first major test today, with the country's largest union now going on strike, which is actually kind of wild, because this is by far the earliest into a new presidency that a strike like this has happened. And you've got the CGT union and its 7 million members alongside many smaller unions, worried that President Javier Milei's economic reforms are going to strip away too many regulations and worker protections. With some of these being fought in court. And they include things like cutting down maternity leave by a few months, increasing the probationary periods for jobs from three months to eight, reducing how much some 
someone's entitled to if they're laid off. And that's just the stuff directly affecting work. They're also angry about rent controls being abolished, price ceilings, how many goods being removed. And you've got the president of the CGT vowing to fight for these things and saying they will not yield an inch of what has been achieved. However, Malay's government isn't just letting these protesters do their thing. They've said that any civil or public servant protesting would be docked a day's pay. And that on top of that, they'll track the hours police use to contain the protest and then have that bill handed to the unions. And it's really not expected that they're going to budge on these economic changes because the president and his allies literally think that it is a matter of life and death for the Argentinian economy. With inflation still at record highs and over 40% of Argentinians in poverty. Right? So in the eyes of Malay's government, many of the benefits that they're cutting just can't be afforded by Argentina right now. Though on the other side, you have the union saying these are just rights, saying it's not a matter of whether Argentina can afford it or not. They're entitled to it. And notably, this isn't the only problem for Malay right now. Right? In court, his reforms are facing stiff resistance. In fact, there are 60 lawsuits out there by labor groups trying to block various provisions of his mega decree that upended the economy. And at least one chapter of that decree was blocked by the Supreme Court pending a review by Congress. Which, I mean, speaking of that, he's also facing resistance there. Because he only has the power to temporarily make changes and he's fighting Congress to finalize their approval. And then overall, there's the very big question of whether Millet's policies will actually work. Right? Some of his changes, like heavily devaluing the peso, definitely had an impact on the economy. Definitely hurt the spending power of everyday Argentinians in order to make Argentina a better market for exports. And that worked for a bit. But their problem is that inflation continues to kill the economy over there. With official exchange rates hardly able to keep up. Right? Like currently, it's officially almost 900 pesos for a dollar. But on the streets, it's closer to 1200 per dollar. So any benefit that came from devaluing the currency was quickly eaten away by inflation. You know, as I said, following Argentina's election, this is going to be something we keep an eye on. One, because Millet represents such a drastic change, and it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this plays out. And two, because Argentina has long been seen as a potential powerhouse economy if it can just get its act together. And no matter what, Millet's economic policies will be seen as the first real-world case study for his brand of anarcho-capitalism. And then finally, today we've got beautiful bastard community stuff, and yesterday today. For community stuff, I'm excited to announce we just dropped the beautiful bastard January drop. It includes this fantastic flannel I've been wearing. Also, this crazy, comfy blanket, which I had to steal back from my wife just so I could get it on camera for a second. A crazy, comfy socks that I'm wearing right now, but I'm not going to show you for free. And then finally, the king of the drop, our perfect everyday tee. We've been working on this for so long. It's our custom blend, custom cut and sew. Went in with the goal of like, how do we get that nice fitting, buttery, smooth, like 80 plus dollar tee, but actually make it affordable. And we fucking crushed it. We're selling three packs in this run for $20 a tee. And so definitely grab what you want while you can. I, I think by the time you're seeing this, we're probably going to be out of the color tees. And then sizes of other things are either limited or already selling out. So click that link in the description, beautifulbastard.com. But then that brings us to yesterday today. And in addition to diving into those comments from yesterday's show, I actually put out a poll because there was a lot of conversation happening around the question of would you date or marry someone that had a different opinion on abortion than you? And just like most everything else we talked about yesterday, there was a massive difference between men and women. With a poll showing that while 40% of men said, yes, I would still date or marry a person with a different opinion, 60% right, the majority said they wouldn't. And then when it came to women, only 8% of women said they would date or marry someone with a different opinion on abortion than them, meaning 92% would not. With women further explaining in the comments, for anyone wondering about the female ratio between yes and no, it can quite literally be a life or death situation. Others adding, I don't believe I could be with anyone who doesn't see the value of bodily autonomy. I couldn't imagine dating a forced birther. And people going on to say, you know, this is more than just having like a difference of opinion, saying it's legitimately unsafe, especially in the US today. And personally, one of the most interesting things about like the difference of opinion between men and women on this specific question, but also politics in general that we talked about yesterday, because I didn't mention this in yesterday's show. But with the research and the data that we were talking about, there are two researchers that pointed out about one in five young singles will have to either marry someone with different politics or just remain single, or just based off of population and opinion stats. So it'll be interesting to see how many people stand by like what their opinion is right now and kind of the hypothetical or the abstract versus like the real world implementation and attraction and compromise, all that. Especially because there were a few people that shared stories of like, I was with my partner initially and I had this opinion, then I changed to this opinion. But yeah, like I said yesterday, I personally land in the camp of like, I just, I don't know how you make it 
work when you have a difference of opinion on something so serious. But that is it for today's show. As always, thank you for being a part of these daily dives into the news. Also, just while the stock is there, get in on that brand new beautiful bastard drop. I got a link in the description for you. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.